Introducing Royal Caribbean's newest ship, Icon of the Seas, the ultimate family vacation. The ultimate six slides, eight neighborhoods, zero compromise vacation. The ultimate never done that, can't wait to do it vacation. The ultimate chillin' by a different pool every day of the week vacation. This is the Icon of Vacations. Icon of the Seas, arriving in 2024. Book today. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. It's rare to find a gift that you know everyone on your list will love. That's what you get with an incredibly soft blanket from Minky Couture. With hundreds of different styles and sizes of Minky Couture blankets, you'll find a gift that they are sure to love every single day of the year. Shop the best deals of the season at MinkyCouture.com. What's going on, Marbleheads? Welcome to another edition of In the Marbles. I'm your host, Preston Lude. Sitting across the table from me is Matt Beamer. How's How it going? Today, How's it going? Not what? bad, not oh. bad. Why you jump? You see, you're, you're trying to jump in before I even introduce you, man. Why are you so you excited? What's going I on? I am excited. We have are a good. You? We have an interview today. Yeah. Oh, yes, we do. That's right. And a driver owner interview. I bet First, you don't. I bet you don't know how to say his name. Rayum. You, Josh Rayum. I think you. You called him before the show and asked him probably. I probably did. Name. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, we got Josh Rayum on. I'm excited. Yeah, I, he, he's on the docket today. Uh, owner-driver of Rayum Brothers Racing. Part-time, he's a full-time truck owner, part-time driver. So yeah. this is going to be our first driver interview. Or, sorry, dri- first owner-driver owner interview driver. here at In the Marbles. Right. got to get that right. So looking forward to that. He's uh, Brian Barnhill and Jesse Wuji's owner. Yeah, they have a lot so, of drivers in that camp. So if they listen, if listeners have listened to our previous episodes, they'll know who we're talking about and what race team they race for. Now we're going to have him on the show momentarily. Big news: the talk of the NASCAR world is Haley Deegan. Yes, yes today she is. officially moving to Ford, which I think is a great step for her. Definitely a good move. Toyota is too crowded. I think to- this is a move from Ford to try to steal drivers from Toyota. Well, yeah, and I can see that. Be, Toyota is flooded with great drivers, great, what would I say, uh, manufacturer in the sport. It's done a lot for the sport. A lot of people don't like them because they are they're very foreign. Yeah, but they stay very involved, I guess you could they, probably say. They are in it. To win it. Exactly. <laughs> they were like Ford and I think Chevy, Chrysler, and all those manufacturers were before maybe 2008, maybe like it was in the 1950s, they're in it, and they put their money in the fine, and they put stock behind it. Yeah, 
And I think Ford's finally seeing that and saying, we need to do something in order to promote our brand better. Haley Deegan's it, and it's a big one. Uh, that's that's a big future for her. She's yeah. running a full-time series in the ARCA series, which is, in a sense, NASCAR. Yeah, I guess you could say their farm program. Yeah, farm program would probably be... That'd be a good way of putting it. Say. Yeah, absolutely. So looking forward to seeing her race more. Because I've seen her race in the late model series that I had recorded throughout last season, and she ran well. She's ran a, won a few races. Yeah. But to see, I think this is going to be a good stepping stone, and I'm glad they're not rushing her like they did Danica, Danica Patrick. Ooh, yeah. See, I was going to ask you about that. How I don't know really how to ask the question, but, I mean, I know we can't really compare her too much to Danica Patrick. I mean, Danica was, she was, uh, what was she racing? She was racing Indy. IndyCar, that's right. I'm sorry, IndyCar. See, I... She came over to NASCAR... And raced a few Xfinity races, raced a few ARCA races. Yeah. But just really never adapted No, to NASCAR. That's like, a shame. Like, I think I would have liked to have seen her. That was a big shame. It was. However, Haley is taking her time. She's 18. All she's known is stock cars. You see, and that's that's where I think, you know, the difference between her and Danica comes in. Danica was racing IndyCar. And you're talking like open wheel cars coming over to stock car, and Haley Deegan's just Tony Stewart did that. It's not impossible to go well, from no, open wheel impossible. to stock. No, okay, all right, or I'm from sorry. stock to open wheel like Kurt Busch did for the Indy 500. Well, yeah, but you know, talking Tony Stewart, how long did he race open wheel to begin with? Then he raced for a number of years. I, okay, I don't know exactly how long he raced in open wheel prior to him making the jump to NASCAR, but he he again took it slow, raced Xfinity for a while. And then got to know the cars, and then was ready to make that jump to I cup. Mean, you know who who knows? I don't. I'm not a. I'm not a race car driver, so I don't know what it's like to go from, you know, say Indy car to stock car. You know, open wheel to stock car. Who knows? If it's very a big. Excuse me. It is. Who a knows big if difference. it's a really big difference to some people, and then to some people maybe it's not. What you going to a 3,400 pound car? Before that, you raced a car that was half its weight and twice as fast. So, yeah, that's a, that's a, I would say that's a big jump. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. No, I don't either. We'll, we'll see, though. I'm I'm pulling for Haley. I'm hoping she does well. Yeah, you know, Maples, he texted me last night. He he was hearing all the rumors about her signing, you know, with Ford, and he's like, you know, it's it'll probably come out tomorrow. And then, of course, we see the article today, and then he texts me. He said, I told you so. So I was like, ah, well, you know. A lot of people were talking about that on Twitter. Adam Stern. Um, this guy named Eric, who has a YouTube channel called Out of the Groove, I want to say it is. I mean, I feel bad for not even like being in the loop and all of this to begin with. I didn't, have, I didn't even hear didn't know anything about this was happening. Yeah, this guy named Eric, I actually met him in Florida. He has a YouTube channel called Out of the Groove, and he talked about that on Twitter a lot. Okay. And really good, informative stuff. Kind of like up there where you sent me a video today about Matt Craft and from a guy named Black Flags Matter. Yeah, I was And that's another good that's, source on yeah, YouTube. I was told that page is very good and the video, that video was very good. He does a great job. I don't know the guy's name who does it, but he does a great job in research and talking all about it. He has several scenarios and stuff, both good pages out of the groove in Black Flags Matter. But yeah, I saw a lot of buzz about it from Adam Stern and Eric about Haley Deegan, and now that's all anybody could talk about right now. Well, yeah. I mean, there's not really a whole lot going on in the NASCAR world other than this, of course, right now. I mean, I haven't seen other news. I mean, silly season's kind of died down. 
quiet now. Yeah, it's pretty much everything's set in stone for 2020. Yeah, we've moved past the the banquet and everything. We're in. We're, we're in the just, off season. We're ready to go we're in racing. A couple weeks of holidays here, and I think it's sixty two days till Daytona. Um, no, it's not. Actually, I'm sorry. I, How dare me? I would tell you NASCAR. Their website has it like a countdown, and it there it is. It could pop back up. Sixty days, twenty hours. So I was wrong at the time of this recording. At right the now. time of this recording, which is a Tuesday. Okay, I was yeah. wrong. Well, no, wrong. It, Apparently, my only, Facebook feed is slow in updating that. Well, you're only like two days off, so it's okay. Man, that's it's two not days. Like you were like I ten days off. I could have missed it. No, you couldn't have, because then Sunday would have rolled around at that time, and you would have been like, "Oh yeah, day twenty five hundred, You know, you wouldn't be going, "Oh, sixty two days," and it would come up on a Tuesday, and you're like, "Oh, wait a minute, something's not right here." I would have figured it out. I think you would have been like, "Yeah, you're not going to dupe me this time, Facebook." But here we go. Here we go. We have a. Uh, our new segment here. Hey, man. Oh, hey, man. Here it is. We, here it is. <laughs> all, with all this talk about Haley Deegan. Oh, you found some in, stuff? I, I found some stuff. Oh, God, so this guy named Scott, he posted on NASCAR and NBC's web, or Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And he said, Danica 2.0, pretty face, can't race. Oh. And Lord help us if she, she talks. Top three annoying voices similar to Fran Drescher. Oh, from the oh, the TV yeah, show. Yeah, from Frank. Okay, I get yeah. it now. The nanny. The nanny. Yeah, that so, she wasn't so annoying. Though. Well, that was a TV show, though. So I mean, you got to expect that. Well, hey, man. Hey, Scott. I mean, my goodness, man. Give her a chance. At least she's proven herself as a lower series. Hang on a and second. And now she's going up to now, the upper divisions. Now, if he says that her voice is annoying, it sounds like he spends too much time watching videos with her being interviewed in it. It really does. Now, I'll give it this. I've heard her on another podcast, and she does laugh a lot. But that's that doesn't make or break her as a race car driver. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to I don't I'm not going to judge her by I know a lot of people I know a lot of people who in the lady folks of NASCAR and fandom who picked their drivers based on their cuteness. I re- my aunt. <laughs> Remember Casey Kane? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. He had every girl imaginable. They had all it, those commercials. Well, it was so funny, too, because when I was talking, when I just met my wife and I'm trying to convince her, hey, you should get in NASCAR or be a fan with it with me to have someone watch it with. Mm-hmm. My aunt said, have her pick the cutest driver. A lot of guys that I know in my little circle who aren't race fans say, I like Danica because she's, pretty yeah that's true me i say who cares if she's pretty or not she can't drive a race car yeah i i know a couple people that like danica just because of that i would say that's it's a good marketing it's good marketing to have you know it's easier for good looking people vice someone who's just doesn't take care of themselves market themselves i listen i know exactly my mom was you know they don't really watch NASCAR much anymore at all, but when growing up, I mean, once Casey Kane came into the sport, my mom was a big Casey Kane fan, and that's how it was, you know? Casey Kane was apparently, to all the women out there, cute, hot, whatever you want to say it, and there was commercials everywhere. You always saw multiple commercials of Casey Kane during a NASCAR race, all the time. And it was just all the women going crazy for Casey Kane, you know? Good for him, though. Well, and I'm going to come back to this. Scott, uh, this guy named David... He said his masculinity is challenged by a female race car driver. Hey, man. Burn. Dang. It's just funny seeing some people just already 
a lot of people were supporting her. I'd say ninety nine percent of them are supporting her. I dropped my phone there. Jeez, watch out, dude. Sorry about that. I mean, she's a good driver. Yeah, she's not horrible. No, not at all. I've seen, you know, select races, few races on TV when they show them of her driving. But the the winner, in my opinion, is this, and I, and I love this. This guy named Brian. He says, "I believe she actually has potential better than Austin Dillon, which isn't saying much." Hey, man. Well, she isn't getting everything on a silver platter. <laughs> hey, man. That's that's our hey, man segment. That is segment. the best. That's, that's, that's the best. That takes the that, cake. That wins it right there. Yes. That wins it right there. Holy wow. cow. He, he, let him, he let him know. And, again, we talk about Facebook, and it's great to oh, see everybody. This segment opinion. is so great. I love it. it was, it's going to only get better. But uh, yeah, then I sent you a better. picture of what it looked like the – the 2021 Gen 7 cars. Yeah. I sent you a picture, and it was the one out of the four pictures that I sent you, and it was a Dodge. Yeah. You sent it to me. I don't think I replied back. because You like, didn't. At the time, I was like, what, I was, what is he sending? Like, I was I was like, what is he sending me? To I should have followed up on yeah, it. should have. But I didn't. I didn't. But chart, yeah, that's. Ooh. Whoa. Is, is NASCAR, Where did you get that from? NASCAR. Like the website? No, their Facebook feed. Okay, I'm sorry. Or or somebody's Twitter feed that shared it. Oh. We'll post it online to see whatever people think. But then I saw something else. We're going to switch gears to Formula One here. Power rankings came out for 2019. Mm -hmm. This is very interesting because guess who I didn't see on the list in the top 10? Uh, I don't know. Vettel. Whoa. What? Yeah, go the top five are Hamilton, Max Verstappen, Carlos Sainz Jr., Lando Norris and Charles Leclerc. Hmm. Interesting. Botas finished seventh. Sergio Perez eighth. Ricardo ninth. And Kvyat tenth. And we might as well just mention sixth. Alex Alborn. So yeah, Formula One's power rankings. Sebastian Vettel wasn't on there. That's uh wow. And in the seal in the rumor mill going around that Ferrari wants Hamilton. So they might. Uh oh. Uh oh. <laughs> I'm going to make my predictions now. This is a couple of years from now, but I want to hear, make set it in stone here first. Hamilton goes to Ferrari. Verstappen goes to Mercedes. Vettel back to Red Bull. Oh, that's a pretty bold prediction there. Bold Kyle. move. Let's see if it works out. All right, so we got Josh coming on. We yeah. might as well get ready for that and go from there. All right, folks, we're here with Josh Rayom, a truck series owner and driver. Josh, how's it going today? Uh, it's going all right. Thanks for having me on, guys. No, no, thank you. Uh, we tried to have you on the show a couple weeks ago and uh, had a little uh, conflict of priorities there with a sponsorship. Um, can you give us a little insight on that? Yeah, this is, uh, this is a pretty busy time for uh, pretty busy time of year for us. So I, I apologize not being able to jump on the call. Um, earlier, but uh, we're constantly every day, man, we're just we're pounding the pavement, and we're talking to existing partners, and kind of reviewing what we did this year and looking at what our goals are for, um, for the next year, and talking to uh, talking to drivers and, and their partners. Really, this is, in a lot of ways, 
you know, it's the busiest time of year. Um, a lot of people look at the off season as a break, which it is. It's a break from traveling to a certain degree. But for me as an owner, it's honestly probably the busiest time of the year because it's our opportunity to, to work on our equipment and make it better and, and hopefully put in place some good partnerships to where our team has the funding that it needs to, to exist and to run well. Okay, so uh, and, and no problems whatsoever. I understand priorities. It's your team. It's, you know, you want to make it excel so no skin off off the back uh so you grew up i i'm doing research about you you grew up 13 years in nigeria you were born in california grew up 13 years in nigeria how did that lead to you getting into a race car yeah so uh my parents uh are missionaries they still are my father is in africa as we speak and we were they were on the mission field so that's kind of where 13 years in africa came from, but it's pretty bizarre to think that you, you know, if you go from being essentially a missionary kid to owning a race team or being a, a race car driver um, professionally at this level. Um, my dad was involved with motorsports and so was my grandfather. And I think it's just something that, you know, my father would always kind of, you know, we'd always watch NASCAR and Formula One and stuff on, on TV together. So it was a sport that we all loved. And then when we got old enough, uh, my dad got us into kart racing and you know, that, that was something that my dad really desired to have for, for us as kids. He felt like if he kept us busy, that we would stay out of trouble and also become mechanically inclined as a result of our involvement in the sport. Right. And for for me, it just, you know, I remember when I was a little kid, I remember not really thinking too much about it. And, and I, I can't pinpoint what age it was, but at some point it was just like, I want to be a race car, race car driver. That's what I want to do. I want to be a race car driver. So, you know, every chance I got, every, every opportunity I had, I was reading a book or knocking down a door trying to create an opportunity for myself. And really, because we didn't have a lot of family money, everything I was doing was just trying to follow in the footsteps of the drivers that I was racing against, say, the previous year. So they moved up a class or into, in, you know, from transition from carts to cars. I was always just trying to, to follow in those footsteps. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in life that I've gotten to where I'm at. Yeah, it's, it's very impressive, your resume, going from carts all the way to late models and then now into the truck series. So what made you want to become an owner by just uh, staying on the driver path? Yeah, so... Uh, I guess maybe not a ton of people would know this about me, but I have, I have a mechanical engineering degree, which was something that I pursued uh, to make myself a better driver. So while I was driving in the truck series and, and expanded series and stuff over the last couple of years, I, I've worked for teams as an engineer, um, and that gave me a lot of insight, I think, into how teams were run and the economics of the sport. And honestly, there's another aspect of it that I think is that I know that you can't be a driver for forever, and I really love this sport, and I'd love to be a part of it for a long time. And You know, and you see a lot of these older cup drivers that own teams, and it's part of, I think, a healthy transition in the sport. Um, but the, the biggest motivating factor behind owning my own team was essentially the opportunities that I could provide my partners with. I felt like from... Uh, mechanical background and engineering background and whatnot, I felt like I had a good handle on what was necessary to run the team um, from having worked for you know, a variety of different teams and just being very observant. And from, um, from a driver's perspective, being able to own a team, you have a lot more assets at your disposal for a sponsor. And what I mean by that is 
you know, you could pick up the phone and call me and we could hash out a deal uh, for a partnership for the whole season that's negotiated with the team. And I can tell you right now where you're going to get your signage on the hauler and what we're going to do for you and how it's going to make sense. And we run multiple trucks, so you don't just get assets associated with the trucks I'm racing. You also get assets associated with the trucks, you know, our, our team trucks. And being able to have that and not have a team owner as a middleman that is having to help facilitate that, to me, was advantageous. Um, I think there's a place for that, but for me, having to find a lot of my own sponsors already and, and managing my own partnerships, and I never had an agent or anything like that, um, it made sense for me to, to go ahead and make that step to just have more control and, as a result of the control, have more, like I said, assets at, at my disposal. Oh, wow. So, uh, Josh, um, so we, we've done some research on you, and if, uh, if you could just you know elaborate for the listeners... Um, how many, you know, entries do you own and like what series do you guys primarily race out of? Uh, so right now we're running in the Gander Outdoor Truck Series. We're running this coming year. We're going to run two full-time teams like we did this last year. We did have the occasional race where we ran more trucks, but those were those were fairly limited. We are actually looking at maybe then venturing into a few different series. Um, the truck series schedule is only 23 races long. So we obviously sustain our overhead um, to be able to run the team all year, but there's some weekends in between that 23-week schedule that I think we could go participate in some other series at a good price point because um, we already have the overhead essentially covered through the through the truck deal. So that, that's where we're at right now. That's what we're uh, that's what we're excited about is, is you know year number three. We're uh, we're looking forward to putting uh, putting our team up higher in the owners' points. That's kind of our tangible way of evaluating our performance, um, which we ran, like I said, we ran two trucks this year. We ran one truck full-time the year before, and both of our trucks finished higher up in owner points than the one truck did the previous year. So to me, that was a success. Oh, very nice. So here's what I saw. I saw you have a number of drivers in your stable here. Mm -hmm. How do you pick which driver would race a certain race, given that, like, the 34 has nine drivers lined mm -hmm. up on it? Um, it just kind of depended on the opportunity. Um, I would say the first the first hiccup you have is NASCAR and their clearancing. If you're a rookie, you know, they require you to start at some smaller tracks and, and work your way up. Oh. If, you know, you have some experience, then you can kind of go to whatever track you choose. And at that point, it becomes more of a conversation of what track makes sense for your for your partner, right? If you have a company that's based in Florida and sell up and down the East Coast, it doesn't make sense for them to sponsor a race in Las Vegas, right? Right. Um, okay. Or geographically doesn't doesn't really work. Um, so for us, you know, we we had a lot of drivers that that cycled through our stuff, and I think if you I think if you looked at it, you know, you could you could almost see where it. it kind of makes some logical sense there you know jason white who ran uh he's run the road course up in canada for us the last two years you know he's from canada so a lot of his money comes from canada his partners and whatnot so it, it, it all sort of makes sense uh i guess in my head it makes sense but looking at it it, it maybe looks a little convoluted as the whatever decision process goes behind it right well i mean that's interesting because i was just wondering how you do that but that makes perfect sense i've never knew you needed X amount of experience to race it out of like a Daytona and suffice no experience to race in Martinsville, I guess. Yeah. So NASCAR, you know, they have a process. 
it's fairly in-depth to your first time applying for it. Um, obviously, once you start racing and the higher levels and they're keeping track of things themselves internally, but as a young driver starting out, you know, you have to go through an application process and references and whatnot, and then they'll, you know, clear you for track-wise. You know, I think in my case, it went something along the lines of I could run K&N at a half-mile racetrack and then K&N at, at a mile and road courses and then trucks at a half-mile, trucks at a mile, trucks at a slow mile and a half and extended a half mile. So every half of the way, they want to see you start at the smaller tracks and work your way up. Okay. So, I, I mean, I obviously didn't know that. I'm sure a lot of our listeners didn't know that. Do you find it more stressful? You, you talked about off-season is pretty stressful for you. Do you find it more stressful as an owner, a driver, or a crew member? Oh, that's a good question. That's a very good question. You get asked a lot of same questions sometimes when you're in that position. That's the first time that question. Yeah. Um. So, uh, it depends. It's situational. I would say, as a whole, I'm a lot more stressed out as an owner. With that being said, I think I've learned to manage stress very well. Uh, my wife thinks I'm crazy a lot of times because we'll have something that happens, you know, in our personal life or something, and, and I'm like, oh, that's no big deal. And, you know, she's like, oh, you just, you don't care. I'm like, no, I care. You just, you have no idea how, how small of a problem that is compared to, uh, you know, I just blew up a $50,000 motor. <laughs> right. Um, so, you know, as an owner, it, it's, it's stressful. I, probably one of the more stressful things is if you're the owner and the driver, that's a lot to manage. Uh, you know, I've also been very stressed out. I've been in situations where, you know, we, you know, roll the dice on fuel or something like that. And that was a, that was a call that I made working for a team and you're biting your fingernails, hoping and praying that, you know, the car doesn't run out of gas and, finish line you know i i don't know i mean it, it's also really stressful too to like i learned to manage my stress a lot better but it's it's pretty stressful if you sit back and you're watching you know the trucks you own on the racetrack especially if they're duking it out and pass trying to pass each other and i'm like oh my goodness please don't wreck each other please don't wreck each other uh, <laughs> is that one of those I, I i hear that all the time from like formula one where like say hungry a few years ago where Rosberg and Hamilton were going at it and they wreck each other as an owner. Mm-hmm. I take it. That's one of the biggest pet peeves as an owner, race each other hard, but don't wreck each other. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just a losing proposition, right? I mean, every time you wreck, you lose money. So it's like, we're supposed to be teammates and it doesn't, it's so easy to say, Oh, well, it, it costs us much, but it, it, it affects your program so much. If you can keep your race cars together, you can spend your time making them faster instead of having to repair them. So it is so important to just survive the races and not not have you know have all the expensive repairs and, and the time that really the most the most valuable asset to a race team as a resource is time um, because you just run out of it. So right. if you're not turning stuff up, then you're able to spend more time you know focusing on making it faster. And there's nothing more frustrating than making your equipment fast and your guys go and tear it up racing against each other because it's kind of like, well, you clearly lost. Yeah, it's situational again, but it's almost like you've lost sight of what, what the goal is, right? Because it hurts the team pretty substantially. Right. Yeah, so, uh, Josh, as far as, I guess we'll keep you on this whole owner standpoint, as far as an owner, when you're looking into having different guys drive for you, do you look not only for, I guess you could say maybe consistent drivers, but like, if they bring sponsorships with them, does that help a lot too? 
Yeah, I mean, that's it's pretty much necessary, to be honest with you, at this level. Um, just the economic state of our sport, um, there's just not a lot of... It, it's hard. It's a hard sell in today's economy, uh, the conventional marketing sell, if you will, which is, you know, put, put the sticker on and, you know, wait on Sunday, sell on Monday side of it. That's, um, that's very difficult um, to sell. Really, the sticker on the race car in, in our world is, the smallest piece of the puzzle. That's the cherry on top. So it's a lot of what we work hard to do is bring value from a V2B um, play. So for us, when we're looking at a driver, um, you know, first and foremost, we're looking for, you know, do they have the ability and the talent to exist at this level? Because we want to make sure that we set, you know, them up for success and also ourselves up for success as a team. Um, but there has to be some some funding behind them to make the opportunity even possible. Now, with that said, I think one thing that we do really well, um, better than I think anybody, is working with drivers to cultivate the relationships that they have, and in some cases, even bridge the gaps in funding with sponsors that we find. That's kind of unheard of in, in our sport right now, but we've done it, and sometimes I wonder if it's the right thing to do because there's been times where I personally personally stepped out of the truck. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Hi, I'm Maria. And I'm Mike. And we're Team Team Ready. Black Hills Energy knows your home is where your heart is. So they want you to be ready. It's all about keeping you safe, prepared, and making your home as energy efficient as possible. Everything from how to weatherize your home to how to stay safe during extreme weather. Be ready for anything. Go to blackhillsenergy.com slash team ready to help a driver that has come to us. Um, basically, like, if you can't run this race at this particular track, then you're not cleared for the next one. And, and it, you know, it, it stops their development as a driver, kind of looking at the big picture of it and recognizing that our goal is to help drivers climb the ladder. Right. Um, we've, made, we've made decisions at, at times to, like I said, bridge the gaps, take a partner that our race team has found and, and pair it up with the driver that just has some ability to help them get to that next step. But yeah, I mean, we, we, we do try to get creative. We are kind of now going into our third year. I'm starting to look to create a bit of a pipeline of drivers. I don't really want to be as blindsided, if you will. Like, I, I don't know who you are. I'd rather be involved in the grassroots aspect of racing a little bit more to where, you know, I see a kid at 14 and then that kid's got some talent and I can kind of start to walk to them and develop a relationship there and then hopefully move them into our equipment a few years down the road. So, you know, one, one way that we're working with that, we're actually going to be taking a few drivers to Myrtle Beach next month. And we're going to be doing a little bit of a test in our truck. And um, more than anything, it's just evaluating where a couple of drivers are at talent-wise and experience-wise and kind of coming up with a plan for, you know, 
they don't necessarily have a lot of funding behind them or anything. That's not necessarily the driving factor, but if you've got some ability and you've got some aspirations, I mean, I didn't come for money. I just had a lot of determination. So if you have some of those character traits, then we'd love to, you know, help that driver along and hopefully get him to the next level. Okay. So is there a cutoff or do you just mainly go after the late, you know, the younger generation, I should say, or would you look at a driver who's say in their thirties and just looking for that one break? Yeah. I mean, we've, we've had some drivers that are older for sure. Um, and that's kind of what I was saying is that I want to create that pipeline because a lot of times the drivers that end up running with us, we only know that they exist because they reached out to us. It's It's not necessarily that we knew who they were. We, we reached out to them to kind of start a relationship or look at what might exist there. But yeah, I mean, it's, I mean, it's all across the board. I mean, Mike Marler, I'm not sure how old he is in his 40s or something like that. Maybe I'm way off and he'll be way offended if he hears this guy. Right. Um, you know, Mike's been around for forever. He's won every that there is. And we put him in our truck at El Bor and finished fourth. Does Mike have a future in NASCAR? I mean, for a career, probably not. Like, he's older, right? So right. He, his shelf life is minimal. And that's what a lot of times they're looking at is, you know, if we invest a lot in you, how, how many years can we get out of you? That's why you see in Formula One that drivers are being developed younger and younger and younger, right? With right. Lewis Hamilton, if they had gotten Lewis Hamilton three years earlier than they did right now, they'd be, you know, ecstatic because that's just three more world championships they're going to get right. before he decides to retire. Okay. How that makes sense? No, it, it makes perfect sense. I'm You kind of just, it's like any other investment. You want to get as much as you can out of it. I dare say it's almost like the military. They squeeze every bit of juice out of you, and then when you're done, you're done. It's like, okay, we don't need you yeah. anymore. So yeah. is it yeah. is it tough to, as a driver, giving up a seat for that up-and-comer or that driver who kind of needs a break, being that drivers don't like giving up their seats? Is it tough for you, or are you okay with it being an owner driver? Uh, no, I mean, it definitely is difficult. You know, it, it sucks, um, but I think I've been around long enough now that what I really desire is to have this business be successful over my racing career. And I know ultimately for my like for my driving career that this racing is the most beneficial thing for that. So if I'm faced with an opportunity to have a driver come that has funding and can run more competitively and help bring some funding to help our team continue to grow over me getting the seat. Um, a lot of times that's, you know, that's the, the, the smart decision to make. You know, with that said, obviously I have partners of my own and then we we do run, I think, I can't even remember, I might have run 10 races or more this year, but I have by no means hung up the helmet or anything. But right. I, like I said, I want, I'm driving some of the nicest race guys I've ever gotten to, to drive and they just so happen that they're owned by me now. So I don't want that to go away. And I know the the opportunities that I have, like I was mentioning before, having more flexibility with my partners. So I think it's really important that I prioritize the business a lot of times over my career because that's kind of a, a long play. Right, and you're, you're the first owner that we've talked to on this show. Granted that we haven't been out for very long, but... It's nice to get a different perspective. It's kind of like a driver, longevity. You could see the future mm-hmm. kind of, I dare say, brighter as a owner, vice maybe a driver. Do you run it just solo or do you have any partnerships like with other truck teams or 
anybody for engines or chassis or something? Um, no, we're pretty much independent. I mean, having an alliance, you know, that sort of thing is quite costly. For us, starting out, we kind of ended up with a hodgepodge of trucks because it was, okay, what's available to purchase? So now that we're a little bit more established, we're able to be a little bit more selective on what our trucks are and gravitating towards, like, um, common suspension components and stuff now that we've been around for a little bit. Right. Um, it's just, you know, very, very expensive when you first get into it to, you know, just walk into Calbridge Motorsports and say, hey, I want three trucks, you know, not necessarily cost-effective. Right, they might just laugh at um, you too. It's like, yeah, right. Sure. No, absolutely. Like, I'm not saying, I, I have no idea, if, you know, are they going to sell? They're probably not going to take you too seriously if they if, if you're not established, which now, right. thankfully, we have that. But I think those those are things that will come come with time. I think, you know, for me, when I first started out, a lot of people kind of thought I was a little crazy, thought I wasn't going to be able to make it happen. And, you know, we made it happen the first year, and I literally had people say, well, you got lucky, and then we did the second year, and now they don't have anything to say. So uh, I think we've kind of proven that we're going to try to be around for a long time. So hopefully that, you know, established foundation is something that we can you know, we can get some manufacturers and some, some other teams on board to help us grow and get more competitive. But but with all that said, you can't have your team grow to the, this is what I don't want to have happen. We've done a really good job of pinching our pennies and, and making our team affordable. Um, I don't want to be at a point where we are dependent on that multi-million dollar sponsor to keep our doors open. At that point, that's that's where teams, in my opinion, shut down. I want to make it to where we have a price point that is sellable, that we can sell that to partners, that it make, it makes sense from a marketing standpoint, from a ROI standpoint. And that way, we can be in control of our own destiny. We're not dependent on some Fortune 500 company or some driver with mega dollars behind them that's, you know, basically keeping us around. Right, and so that's kind of playing on the old adage, you can't buy your way into racing. Because you, you can see some people, oh, this guy has X amount of money coming in, and he doesn't perform well. It's like you can't buy the talent. you got to develop it. I like that. Starts my, because yeah, for the, sure. the, the, last dri- the last driver owner I could think of with an engineering background is Alan Kowicki. And I, I can see a lot of similarities with you and him, and that's awesome. I could see that going Far. Well, I appreciate that. That's definitely somebody that I, I uh, have a respect for. And I think if Alan was still around today, I think he'd kind of in a minor role and a very successful guy. So a lot of people don't realize it, but when he owned his own team, he was on his own sponsorship, like he sold Hooters on being part of his race team. So racing, in a lot of ways, is, is a marketing platform. It's, the racing's fun, and that's what, we, that's what we're passionate about. But it's, only exists, you know, it's so expensive. It only exists if you can have the dollars to make, make it happen. And, you know, Alan was good at setting up race cars. He was good at driving them. And I don't think he gets talked about enough, but he was also really good at finding sponsors. Bar- we had Brian Barnhill on right before Thanksgiving, and he talked about that, how you got to be a salesman in a sense of selling it. Would you say that's, going back to the owner-driver, is that more difficult as an owner or driver going to a sponsor and selling them on why they should put their name on the race car. I think it's I think it's a lot well, they're both unique, but I think personally I think it's easier to sell as a driver because like or as an owner, because you have more assets at your disposal. 
as a driver, you're a lot more flexible because you can talk to a partner and you can say, well, you know, I'm not with any particular team. I can go here. I can go there. We can go cup series, whatever. Whereas as an owner, like any dollars that I get, I can help to my truck team because that's what makes the most sense. Right. Um, so a driver has a little bit more flexibility, but like I said, they don't have, they don't have nearly the assets at their disposal that I would have being an owner. Okay. What are the plans for your race team? Do you plan to just stay in trucks for a number of years or do you plan to eventually climb that ladder to Xfinity and then? Um, yeah, I mean, I think we'd like to go Xfinity racing, um, but we're not going to rush into it. I think we have a good thing going in the truck series right now. And we had a very, very tough year in 2019. We worked really, really hard and that was good. We grew a lot. And I think it's important for us to have 2020. I don't want to say put ourselves on, on cruise mode, but I really want to solidify our truck program and make sure that it is solid before we venture into anything else. And I also want to make sure that it's the right opportunity and right time to get into a different series as well. Cup is going through a big transition to go into a different car, the Xfinity series. Uh, the field is getting shortened, um, I think, by two positions this next year. So there's a lot of things that, that are going on, but definitely um, we're, we're constantly looking at, at what makes sense. I think, in all honesty, what you'll probably see us do before we go to the Xfinity series is venture into a entirely um, just to diversify our ability to uh, have more to bring to our partners. You know, it, there's lots of teams that have an Xfinity and a Cup team or whatever, so they have more assets. Well, it's the same demographic, right? You're you're right. you're 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 selling to the same people. I would love to go and and dabble in a different in a different arena, whether that be sports cars or or what have you, to where we have a totally different demographic that we can, you know, leverage. A, a lot of teams now are going to esports, like may, going into the iRacing series. Um, I don't know how that really works, but is that something you'd be interested in doing one day? We we haven't really looked at it too too much, but definitely, you know, I I see it. I see a lot of people are doing stuff with it, but it, it's not something we have done a lot with but definitely something that I think we'll probably look at pay more attention to in the future. Yeah, it's just one of those random questions I just pulled out of the air right there because Stuart Haas is do- sure. doing it, and I know a lot of people have, and they take it so seriously, like almost like it's the real thing, and mm. kind of blows me away. It's like at the end of the day, it's a video game, but that's yeah, just me. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I, I think there's a lot of elements of sim racing that are that are good. You know, you can... Have, you have to deal with the nerves and the stress of leading the race with how left to go, whether it's in a real car or on the racing, you know, it's, you know, those nerves are fairly comparable, I suppose. Um, but nothing really, nothing in my perspective is going to beat a steel pants deal um, that you're going to have in a, in a real race car. It's it's just important. I would, if it, we would all be naive to think that somebody could go be the best racer in the world and then go jump to a cup car and compete for a win. Like, right. That's just not going to happen. So, but, <laughs> but I've, I've heard that before. We had a driver on named Charlie Herkus from Alabama and I asked him about that and he said there is a seat in the pants feel. You don't get that sitting behind a computer screen and driving. And mm-hmm. when you uh, look at drivers, do you, and they say, I'm sure you've had this before, like, I'm a this many wins in iRacing. Do you kind of just say, okay, kid, whatever, good job playing a video game? Or do you kind of 
maybe take him seriously? Uh, to be honest with you, I I I, I'm, I don't know how to answer that question. I mean, <laughs> we're all very proud of our accomplishments, so I don't want to put anybody down. Like I could say I've won 100 go-kart races, and to somebody else that means absolutely nothing because they don't care about go-karting, right? So I guess you know, more power to you if you've had success in the racing platform that you're a part of. But right. you really, in my perspective, that's one piece of the puzzle, right? Like, you're going to need to have, you have to have a number of things put together to be successful in the sport, whether that be your, you know, you have a personality, you got to be clean cut, or, or you got to have some kind of a personality to where you're, mar- you, have, you have to be marketing yourself, you have to have partners, you have to have talent, you have to have, you know, you have to have experience. You can't you can't just go sell a sponsor on, hey, I think I'm going to be a good driver. You have to have shown them and proven to them that you have ability, and ultimately you're going to have to have you're going to something to be able to show success. Okay, so you you need a resume, a physical resume behind you before show off your accomplishments in a sense. I think so. Yeah. Right. Okay, that makes perfect sense. No, Josh, um, I hate to like I hate to backtrack. And go back to certain questions, but I wanted to go back to, uh, you know, Matt was asking you about like the future plans of the team and whatnot. Um, would you, would it be safe to say, like, would you rather, you know, I know you guys would want some time before you ventured like maybe into like the Xfinity series, but would you rather get to a point where say in the truck series, you would have like a solid lineup of drivers or do you like the whole having multiple drivers for different trucks, uh, you know, thing right going, you got going on right now? Uh, that's a good question. I definitely, as a two-truck team, my ideal scenario would be that we have one truck that's full-time for a driver that ran several races with us the previous year. So I'd like to have one truck that is simply a stepping stone. You know, a rookie obviously can't just jump right in at Daytona. So I'd like to, to have one truck is used as a, as a springboard to a full season, if that makes sense. No, it makes perfect sense. I like that. So that's um, not no, that's that's oh, not always reality. Like, right? You know what I mean? That's not necessarily always going to happen. But that's that's what we would like to have happen if we could. Okay. Going off of that, you're running up to three teams and stuff. Would you like those three trucks to be full time drivers? This is the driver for this truck, and so on, and and just limited to three. Or do you like that whole pipeline thing? Is it more manageable like that? Uh, I mean. It's- it's definitely easier, if you, I guess, if you had one driver full time all the time, but that's not uh, that's not what's maybe most beneficial to have for all of the seats, right? Like, right. I would still, you know, if we could have one driver in say the thirty three all all of twenty twenty, that would be awesome. But then my desire for the thirty four would be to have a bunch of rookies coming through it to where one of them could be in line to be full time in the thirty three the following year because. In my opinion, if we did our job right, that driver's going to go on. They're going to go on to the Xfinity Series. They're going to continue, you know, unless it's a unique situation, they're going to continue to develop themselves as a driver. So I like to think that as a team, if we've done our job right, we've, at the current moment, we've been able to have been a part of a driver's career for two years, whether that's first year is their transition period in trucks and their second year is more of a heavier season. And then maybe, you know, maybe in 2021 or something like that, we'll say, well, three years because then they went on to Xfinity with us, but that's not, that's not where we're at today. Okay. I, I kind of see what you're doing now after hearing it maybe three or four times that you've explained it. I, I, I see what your kind of model is like, and I like that. I, you don't really see that a lot. You either see, or at least for me as a fan, drivers come in, if they don't hack it, okay, you're done. 
they don't really get time mm-hmm. to develop. I see. Is that difficult for you as an owner? Like you want to see them develop, but if they don't, you got to cut them loose or how long do you, would you give, let's say this, how long would you give a driver to develop in a truck before you say this isn't working? Mm, that's a tough question to answer because it's very situational. I mean, with an engineering background, I'm very numbers driven. So I could find, I could find a reason to justify why somebody probably shouldn't be in a race car anymore. And I could find a reason to justify why they should. So for me, it's got to be a complete, it's got to be like a complete overview of, you know, what, what transpired. And the thing that I value the most is your ability to adapt. You know, I think you see a lot of, you see a lot of drivers that have been around for forever and now all of a sudden they're winning races and you're like, okay, well, they finally figured it out after 10 years. Like, you know, congratulations. Like where I think you're really like in the cup series will be a good example. In 2021, when they go to that new car, I think the people that are running up front are going to be the drivers with the most talent because they're going to be the drivers that have the ability to adapt the quickest, right? Like a talented driver, in my opinion, is somebody who can go jump in a sprint car and run competitively. And then the next week they go jump in a late model and they've never been in one and they run competitively. Like that's, that to me is a race car driver because at its heart, it's, hey, we're on a, we're on a hundred lap run, 50 laps in, the car's tight as all get out. How do I drive it differently to make it faster? And that, that mentality, that process, that ability is the same thing that you experience when you get in a different kind of race car. It's, well, how do I drive this thing? It's got four wheels, steering wheel, and a bunch of horsepower. How do I make it go around the circle as quick as possible? So to me, that's the thing I, I look at the most probably, that and being smart, because you can be as fast as you want to be, but if you're crashing other races because you can't, you know, you can't use your head, then right. you know, you're not going to be around for very long either. So We're kind of running out of time here, but uh, how would um you're, you're planning sure. to run a full-time season in 2020? What are your goals for 2020? Let's say that. Well, like as a team goal, we'd like for both trucks to finish higher in owner points than they did this year. So, you know, that's, I guess, one goal. But we have a lot of stuff in the works and we have some stuff that we're going to be able to make some announcements on in the near future. But for right now, um, we can't really say a whole lot other than we've got some good partners that we're bringing to the table and we've got some existing ones that are that are going to stay with us. And we've got some new and some some old drivers. You know, some that are new to new to the team and um, some that are not. So we'll uh, we'll obviously keep you guys abreast of, of what all of our announcements and everything are. But the intention is to run two trucks full time um, in 2020 and uh, and improve our equipment um, as best we can to be more competitive um, than we were in 2019. Always building on that year. Okay. Well, Josh, uh, thank you for your time. We're out of time here. I definitely would like to have you on the show sometime next year to talk about a very, maybe a, after a victory. That'd be great. Absolutely. We'd, we'd love to uh, love to have that conversation. Pencil me in. Absolutely, we will. But uh, thank, you, thank you again for your time. Uh, best of luck in 2020. We look forward to seeing what you guys can do this next season. Sounds good. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate it. All right, thanks. So that was Josh Rayom. Um, Preston, how do you like that? Great interview, to be honest. I, I enjoy these interviews. And I do too. Having an owner driver on, it kind of gives you, I don't even know what to say. Like It gives you more better background. Yeah, and, and I never thought about having an owner driver on the show, and I'm glad we did because I, you know, it gives us a, a different perspective. It pulls the veil apart. It gives us a different perspective because I have this stuff, and I love the way he 
develops drivers and says, this is how I want to do it. I want to give one or two rides per season for these guys have my top driver in a truck and in a developmental, more developmental driver underneath it. What he's doing, and it took me a while, and you could hear, and you heard it in the interview. It's like trying to figure out, well, why so many drivers? Yeah, it's because once the top driver goes up to Xfinity, mm-hmm. then he just says move up, and he just moves everybody up a spot, and well, I, and I think that's a great plan for future development and future growth for his team. I think what it comes down to is the reason that they have so many drivers at the moment too is probably it could be due to the funds and sponsorships as well because. It is kind of hard to have one set driver and have enough sponsorship for said driver for an entire season. So, I mean, I don't know what you're talking about, like these new drivers, like rookie drivers. They probably don't have all the funds there that they could have or just at least a few key sponsors to stay for a whole season because a lot of these guys probably bring different sponsorships with them as well. Right, and and I see a lot of shades of Alan Kowicki. Those owner drivers are a dying breed, but I like the way he has his plan set up. Best of luck to him in 2020. We hope to have him back on the show. Yeah. I'd love to have him back on the show. But one more piece of news that we didn't cover at the top of the show. We had a death, not so much NASCAR, but in the racing world. Uh, Bill Simpson Mm -hmm. died. A pioneer of Simpson performance products has passed. He's best known for those products. The Simpson seatbelts, Simpson helmets, fire suits. But in doing some research, he, uh, he, he started off racing. He started off drag racing. Ooh. And after breaking both of his arms, he realized that stuff needs to change. And he stated, and I'm paraphrasing here, that when you get hurt, that's when you realize safety has to be an issue. Yes. Unfortunately. So, and, and that's the way it usually is. After an accident where somebody gets hurt, oh, we need to change. It's reactive and not pro- proactive as much as it is today, yeah. I would say. He actually um, came up with the idea of putting parachutes on the back of dragsters. Okay. And he did that. Uh, he, he, his uncle owned a military sur- surplus store, so he got a parachute. He put it on the back of a Chevy wagon. Him and another, another driver, Mike uh, Skorskin, I'm probably butchering that, but him and, him and Mike put it on the back of the Chevy and took it down the road, deployed the parachute. Parachute was too big for the car. The car ended up going airborne <laughs> and crashing into a tree nursery. It's terrible. In which they were both jailed, but after that, that's when the Simpson parachutes came out for drag cars. They innovated it, and he actually was innovative in developing fire suits hmm. with DuPont using Nomex, and in 1967 introduced it into 1967 Indianapolis 500, and 30 out of 33 drivers wore the suit. But uh, Bill Simpson is best known for in NASCAR, the controversy surrounding the death of Dale Earnhardt, and saying that, and people, a lot of people said it was because of him that Dale Earnhardt died, which is not the case whatsoever. Yeah. And we won't get too much into the weeds about this, but I saw this investigation, the whole investigation report back in 2001, where they said the seatbelt dumped. It was, it was, he quoted dumping, in which it was installed improperly and not to manufacturer's recommendations. And the force of him hitting Ken Schrader's car caused the seatbelt to dump, thus, being loose when he hit the wall, and it only took a fraction of a second for that to happen. But after that, he got a lot of death threats. He got a lot of death threats. Somebody, according to reports, took shots at the house. Wow, that's terrible. So they blamed Bill Simpson for Earnhardt's death. A lot of people did, which is, again, not the case. In my just reading reports and knowing how much I know about that, 
he defended himself, actually sued NASCAR for defamation of character, but then stepped down in 2001 from Bill Simpson's and started Impact Products. Impact Products, I'm sure a lot of people have seen drivers wear Impact shoot impact fire suits and stuff so he started a whole another company yeah but he was 79 at the time of his death that's what he was best known for is making those racing safe safer and then the death of Earnhardt kind of put him in that same people needed a scapegoat yeah bill simpson was the scapegoat Oof, in terrible. that and and that's a really unfortunate but uh prayers to go out to uh simpson family Thoughts and prayers, especially during the holidays, never easy to lose anybody, let alone during the holiday season. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have anything else, Preston? I know you're. We're kind of short on time. We ran a yeah, no, uh, nothing else. I think we've pretty much covered everything else. Yeah, yeah. And a special episode coming up next week where we're gonna review this year. And when I say this year, fourteen up to fourteen episodes now. This is our being our fourteenth, and we're gonna do our best moments of it and wrap up the year with that. Yeah, yeah. So looking forward to that. So I'd like to thank everybody for tuning in to listen. Make sure to follow us on Facebook at In The Marbles, Twitter at Marbles In, and on Instagram if you just search In The Marbles, you'll find us there. Um, Don't forget about our T-shirts. If you would like one, just reach out to us, and we will make sure to get one to you. So for Preston Mood, I am Matt Beamer. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure to subscribe for future content, and have a good rest of your day. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner.